On this episode of AV Week, Cisco has their checkbook out. Who are they buying now? What's the difference between UHD and 4K? And we talk about how to get more women involved in the AV industry. All that and more, next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Display Note. This is AV Week, episode 238, recorded Friday, March 18th, 2016. Enter the sandbox. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us this week, Mr. Kevin I. Selly from Crestron Electronics. How are you, sir? Great. How's everybody doing today? Doing very well. Also with us uh, is Miss Haley Klein from PSNI. How are you, madam? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And last but not least, uh, one of the smartest programmers that I know, and I don't, even though he says he's not a programmer, his company does really cool things with code. Let's just put it that way. Matt Slack from AV Solutions. How are you, brother? I'm great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here virtually with you. Virtually. Uh, Matt is in, I, I was telling these guys off the air, this is, I believe this is the first time I've ever had everybody in the central time zone, which is where I am. So actually, we're all up and down the Mississippi. Matt's in Louisiana. Haley's all the way up in Minnesota. And Kevin and I are stuck somewhere in the in the middle there. So I don't know what that means. I just think it's cool. I'm easily impressed, though. Let me just put it that way. Uh, first up on the docket here, Cisco has got the checkbook out again. They're buying an IoT company called Jasper. <clears throat> now, <laughs> here's the thing about this one. Uh, it's not a small purchase. $1.4 billion with a B dollars. $1.4 billion. <clears throat> so, Kevin, we're going to start with you on this. What what in the world is Cisco going to do with an IoT company? And secondly, what on earth are they spending that much money for? Well, last time I checked, they had a couple of dollars laying around. They do. Um, so <laughs> they do have the capital to do so. But, I mean, when you look at um, the, the purchase and the acquisition, uh, Jasper being kind of um, cloud-based, it's definitely a step in the right direction for for Cisco. Not that they're not doing steps in the right direction, but it gives them a, a good uh, – again, they already have a foothold. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's more of just a consuming of another idealistic um, – mythology of doing cloud-based services and cloud-based uh, uh, functionality, which I think you're going to see a lot more of that happening. Um, even even us, we've changed uh, Fusion to Fusion Cloud Services, where we're going to host for you. So there's an opportunity there for Cisco to get deeper into that market. So it, it's definitely a, a step that I would agree with for them anyways. Well, and that's actually, I, I want to bring Matt on, in on that, on that side, and, and Kevin jump in here too, because it is about Crestron and, and other services as well. But Matt, let's talk for a second about asset management in the cloud, right? 
What are some of the, the pluses and, and what are some of the drawbacks? Because Cisco is, is fully, obviously, putting a whole lot of chips in not just IoT, but cloud services. Yeah, sure. But <clears throat> there's also an obvious high-level strategy for Cisco. So historically, Cisco makes money when they sell gear, right? And while that may not be their primary focus moving forward, it's still a key element to their business model. So why do you buy Cisco? You know, you don't buy Cisco so you can browse the internet. You buy Cisco so you can maximize the throughput, you can maximize the uptime, you can maximize the visibility into the issues in the network, you can maximize your control and your security. Well, all of those are paramount issues in the Internet of Things. You need the uptime, you need the throughput, you need the control of privacy and security. You need the visibility, otherwise the system, the solution crashes and you don't have a stable um, Internet of Things environment to play on. So it, it helps drive Cisco's historic business, much less building a continued reoccurring revenue model, you know, for the future. I mean, it's, it's right in their wheelhouse. So let me let me see if I can I can put my my dumbness on it. Is it kind of like the, the whole the more we use the Internet, the more money Google makes? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, the more you use the internet, the more traffic there is, the more hardware and software in the background there is to support that infrastructure. It's like a highway, right? Like the more cars we have, the more lanes we need, the more lights we need. It's that simple. Cisco basically has owned the highway. And what promotes more traffic on the highway? Well, getting more vehicles out there. So now instead of cars and trucks, the internet of things is more like hey, let's make a lane for bicycles. Let's allow people to bring in kites because that's cool and gets attention. You know, So whatever kind of traffic you want to bring to this, cool. We'll need more lanes. And they sell more more switches. I get it. Well, uh, it also offers, uh, just uh, just touching on what we're saying, is it also uh, gives the opportunity of Cisco to uh, keep the hardware refresh up. Uh, for example, everything mm -hmm. that runs us in the background, uh, one of the things that we looked at is that just with everything, there's you know life cycle of product, and in this case, but this particular case, when you're talking about someone like Cisco, they can turn over Jasper's hardware very relatively easily. You know, like you do server firms, whatever, whatever you have to refresh, provide new security, provide whatever. That is a tremendous vehicle to make sure that that is always on the leading or, if you will, the bleeding edge of the technology, so that you're not, as a customer that's doing, let's say, on-prem services, you're not stuck into having that same, oh, we got to wait another four years before we can get another million dollars with a gear, right? Type of type of turnover. So this is a great opportunity then for even uh, to improve that highway, as we were saying. Hmm. Um, Plus, it has an added bonus of giving them firsthand data into leading market indicators of, you know, where are we going to see or likely to see traffic increases and how can we help promote that? You know, you've got somebody who's got the product that might drive some extra internet traffic. Well, if you're now providing the service to help them get that to market, it just increases the, the speed of that refresh is insane. Matt, that's actually a really great point and a really great opportunity to flip this to, to Haley. Uh, about a month or so ago, our, our AV social team, uh, Don Mead and, and Kelly Perkins, did a show on big data, right? And how companies are capturing that and using that for marketing, right? How, how you use your customers' information. Jasper has got, oh, I don't know, Uber, um, oh, I just, AT&T. McDonald's, Subaru, not some insignificant com uh, companies here. How is Cisco going to take that? And, and some of them, let's be honest, some of them are, are, are 
possible competitors with with uh, with Cisco, not directly, but but in the technology space. How do you take that and, and take that information and say, okay, kids, here's a, this is a good thing. Trust me with with your existing customers that may be looking at this, going, I don't know if I want to be serviced by Cisco. Yeah, it seems to open up a lot of doors for new demographics, a lot of co-marketing opportunities, and just starting to um, build up existing relationships. So your best customers are your existing customers, right? You already have built that loyal that loyalty. So I think it really opens up the door with all these existing company, all these existing existing loyalties. Now bringing in this kind of new era of technology, kind of great. Yeah. All right, uh, next story is we're going to wrap around and wrap up the Digital Signage Expo, which happened in Vegas this week. Hey, Kevin, I, I'm sorry. Yes. Tim, I had, I had Go. another thought there. So, you know, years ago, Cisco was making some purchases of some other consumer products, mm -hmm. trying to bridge the consumer video world, you know, back to their kind of corporate like infrastructure video world. Yeah, there's actually there's several examples. So... This gives them a way to connect to kind of that corporate infrastructure world that's providing those consumer goods, consumer goods very directly. So okay, I see what you're saying. For them to bridge their business world with the consumer world. So it's it's not only it's not just because they're obviously B two B already, right? That you you yeah. made the point that they've been in, they've been the network backbone for um. Let's I think it's safe to say a majority of the the, the switch farms and the the IT closets, uh, at least in the U.S., uh, but this is a way for them to get both consumer and and B2B all wrapped up in one. So uh, hang on for one second. Goodness. All right. Uh, Digital Signage Expo happened in Vegas this week, um, and if you're in the uh, the AV space, it's not like you're not going to get enough of Vegas this year. You've got uh, Infocom in Vegas happening in, oh, I don't know, two three months here so you know you get to go to vegas now and you get to go to and if you go to nab that's a third trip to vegas so hey um but uh, a couple things uh, popped out of vegas this this week that i want to grab um you've got ultra hd uh and 4k and and yes there is a difference and, and we'll get to that in a second um but the other thing you've got is you have the transport and Matt, we're going to start with you, and, and Kevin, I know he's going to jump in because he and I actually talked about this very thing this week. Digital signage is primarily done over network, right? Yes, you've got, you, some of them do have um, individual players or local players and stuff, but a lot of them are also pushed over the network. Are we to the point with, with 4K and are we at the point with UHD or, or 4K, either one, where we can start doing that? where we can reliably push digital signage or just regular video uh, or regular, regular video signal down a network? Well, Kevin's definitely the expert there, but I mean, I think, are we at the point where we can start doing that, doing that defined as real world or doing that defined as, you know, in the lab or in a very, very tightly controlled environment? Because I mean, honestly, you know, we, we do tons of conference calls, right? So that's video traffic. It's not even that much bandwidth on a conference call. And, you know, you still see blips here and there, even though everybody's got these high-level 10-gig networks. Um, so the real world offers dynamics that are predictably unpredictable. And when you're talking about pushing the boundaries of how much bandwidth you need for 4K and beyond, you're looking at something a little more 
a little more uh, better designed and closed access than just a public internet. All right, Mr. Iselli. Um go ahead. I would say I would say everything Matt was is right on with one exception. There's very little or like what we're seeing is there's actually very little deployments of um, 10 gig networks to the you know to the port if you will because uh, that that type of technology although it's readily available is still carrying a pretty pretty good cost burden um, I, what we're seeing for digital for signage and of course we we have products that will do that is that um, most of the networks are there, there's kind of a big gap right now in the AV community on where this takes in because this is kind of like the convergence side of the world and how does AV and IT work. And, and I just actually finished a, a North American tour talking about this very thing. There's a there's a tremendous amount of disparity as to what it takes to get the uh, the, the misunderstanding, I'm sorry, of what it takes to get good quality video. But you also have to remember what is the content you're trying to drive. Uh, one of the things I showed was a PowerPoint using H.264 at 500K. And everyone thought, oh, that looks just fine. But the moment you kicked it over to moving video at 60 frames per second, it was still better than YouTube quality, but everyone was kind of like, oh, I don't like that at all. Well, yeah, I mean, it, your technology means one thing, right? And then how are you going to deliver it is another. And then what is your use case? For signage, of course, you could do it as a multicast screen. That's no problem because it's just a tune-in channel. Uh, if you're going to be doing more of a VOD type of scenario, it's got to be unicast. Uh, that's, what, that's what gets you that level of control. And now there's a whole different level of converse, conversation that we as the AV community need to get in on as to talking to those IT professionals of what's allowed on their network, what type of quality of service, is it going to be a dedicated network, and what type of video quality are you looking for? I mean, you, there's just big differences between, let's say, 264, or MPEG-4, if you will, and JPEG-2000. To get very similar qualities, you're talking about 10 to 12 meg in the 264 version versus 500 meg in the JPEG-2000 version. So, yeah, there's a lots of conversations we can all benefit from um, by having them sooner rather than later. Right, the, hang on for a second, because I, I want to drill into something for a second. In digital signage, there, there are definitely uses for for multicast, right? Um, there are some unique scenarios where I could see unicast because whether it's if it's if you're talking about university and like over here you've got the business school but here in this building you have nursing and so you want different digital signages going to those different ones no it's still could be a multicast yeah but but it's it's, it's different it's different streams i guess is the no yeah it's it's different streams it's just your your clientele or your sessions are applying to it's like everyone who watches cable or satellite right for example if we're watching cable and you're watching cnn you're watching a multicast stream yeah that's it the moment you go to VOD, you're now on a unicast. That is a direct session that gets created from the provider to you. That's independent. Uh, and that's where it becomes now very, very challenging. In multicast, you hit the network with the size of one stream. In unicast, you're now hitting the network with the size of the stream times as many users that are uh, acquiring that stream. Gotcha. So that's why in signage, multicast is typically always the way to go because it's you're not impacting the network that greatly depending on how many let's say displays you're you're running simultaneously it's always just the, the size of one stream 
It, but then again, on the backside of that, multicast, especially multicast UDP, does require specialized network hardware, and typically it's dedicated network hardware, and it is also completely internal. You're not going to stream multicast traffic to the internet. Uh, if you want to know how to do that, call Al Gore. Uh, but there, you're, it's it's one of those situations where that is now a closed network. And for signage, if you're on a campus or if you're in your own network, absolutely works fantastic, and it's a great deployment mechanism. Uh, but again, it, it's this kind of starts down that path of we got to have more conversations again because it's a different world for us. Uh, I mean, us as the AV community, and it's a great opportunity for us to learn new skill sets, I think, uh, f- even learning new a- IT uh, skill sets, which would definitely benefit us down the road. Oh, my gosh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Haley, one of the things that, that you do at PSNI is, is PSNI is a, is a consortium of, of integrators. Um, how how do we get the, the local integrator to understand this and to start talking to their clients? How do I put this gently uh without pissing them off in the correct way <laughs> you, you know um I, I know some of its education but some of it's also you know getting the right get, getting them to use the right language um I, and I, I bring up this because of, of the 4k versus uhd conversation um and in case you, you don't know this google and go to wiki and type in uhd and type in 4k they are different. I don't care what the Consumer Electronics Association says. So how do we get them to do that? How do, how do we get them to start talking, I, I guess, correctly is, is the best way to ask that. I mean, personally, don't you think it just comes down to having manufacturers educate them on the product and best case scenario, or user case scenarios, case by case? So maybe in some regards, having the lower quality video is going to work and having a 4K video is going to work. but. Some people, frankly, don't care what kind of video quality they're getting, but they want to slap the 4K name on there, I think. It's kind of, it's just, you know, the hot trend right now. And, I mean, that's what I personally believe, and maybe I'm offending someone there, <laughs> but I do think that people just want to buy what's what's the hot new technology, and I, I think just edu- educating them in the market and why to move in one er- one direction or the other is probably the most important Tim, is your question about how to get the end users and the end clients to use the right language or about how to get the integrators to have the right conversation? How to get the integrators to use the right language? I mean, I, I hear oh, the integrators. To yeah, use the right because language. here's the thing. I mean, and, and God love them. They, they read the Internet and they read people's blogs and, and stuff. And six months ago or so, it was right before it was it was it wasn't even six months ago. It was right before CES this year. Um, CEA changed their name to CET. CTA, CTA, uh, Consumer Technology Association. And their marketing piece is, you know, UHD is the same as 4K. And, and they use them um, interchangeably. That's a problem <laughs> to, to those of us. Why is that us. a problem? Why is it a problem? Yeah. Because they're different. Why? Where did you get your definition of UHD? Uh, ultra, high defini- ultra high definition is... 3,000 some odd by 2,000 some odd. It's not... Well, who wrote the definition? Let's start there. I don't know. I, Al Gore. I didn't write it. ITU did. International Telecommunications Union. Well, they're stupid. They it was, right? <laughs> Technically, UHD is anything 2K and above. Okay. So how so, can you use that inter- interchangeably with 4K? Because isn't 2K above 2K... If 2K is, let's say, the breakpoint, and yeah. 
probably off on this, but let's pretend it's 3840 by 2160 is where they start the definition of UHD. Yes. Uh, so what would 8K be? Um, oh, depends on who you ask, because NHK calls it super high vision. So it's always going to depend on who's going to start the, the nomenclature to provide or to polish it with exclusivity first. Okay. Look at OLED. You and I have had that conversation many times. OLED, and now in the Samsung world or the LG world, I think it's, uh, LG calls it UM. It's OLED. It's OLED or, or yeah. AMOLED, and that's a whole different it's, animal. Uh, in fact, uh, if you take 4K, or let's even pretend it's not 4K, let's call it UHD. 3840 by 2160 was tagged by Sony as what? QFHD. Why? And also it's crystal at one point. Right. It wasn't 4,000 lines. So QFHD, quad full HD, great. Now this all fall, falls under, if you will, the UHD moniker. Um I don't know about some generalistic terms like UHD that I would get hung up on, um, I, I, but I get what you're saying. There, there should be a responsibility to manufacturers and even, those, let's say, education communities like Infocom and CDN and such to, to use the same vernacular and use the same verbiage because it definitely helps out in, the, in everyone being on the same page. Okay, here, here's, the, here's the correlation I'm going to make, and you can tell me I'm, I'm crazy, but th this is the one I've got. When HD was first introduced, and we referred to it as what? We referred to it as HD, high definition. It was higher than the, the 400 lines that we had, all, all four of us growing up, right? And then started we, we started having these little independent variations. We had 720. We had 1080i. We had 1080p. If I referred to a system, a switcher, and I'm going to pick on Kevin for a second, if Crestron came out and said, we have a switcher that does 1080p. It'll handle 1080p signal, but it really didn't. It just really handled the 720. Or maybe they said, you know, it, it, you know, you, you, we don't use 1080p and HD interspersed. You know, um, um, we, we can't interchange them, at least not in this day and age. That's the same way I feel about UHD and 4K. 4K is a resolution, right? UHD is a moniker that refers to, as Kevin pointed out, anything technically over 2K. So technically, 8K could be referred to as UHD. And it is. Yes. And, and it is. But that's what that's why I, I, I have an issue with, with the, the CTA using them um, and, you know, changing them around. Yeah. No, you're, you're correct. Using it interchangeably is probably not the most efficient use of vernacular. Um, like, I liked your analogy, but it was kind of, it's kind of... Clunky? You, you made the argument. No, you, know, you kind of made the argument against your favor. Oh. You said HD, right? Well, HD was anything that was greater than 525. But then we, we started having, then we started specifying, right? Well, then we started doing silly things. Full HD as opposed to half HD or okay. quarter mm -hmm. HD. Or, you know what I mean? It went back to the same thing. Um, uh, think, of the, think of the, the, the label, if you will, UHD or HD, whatever you want to call it, as the sandbox. And then in the sandbox, you have that area where you build the moat. You have the area where you build the castle. And those are your resolutions. Uh, or you think of it like a theme park. A theme park will have a lot of stuff in it. There'll be roller coasters. There'll be, uh, you know, my favorite hot dog on a stick. There'll be all of that, right? Um, it, it, the, 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 the definition is true. If you put a, a sandbox together, it's nice that everybody plays in the sandbox. Uh, and if you're going to have a sandbox definition, everybody should use it as that, as a definition. But if you're going to say UHD and then 
have a tagline that says up to let's say 3840 by 2160. Oh, okay, just be clear about it. And I, I think that's kind of to Tim's point, right, is that, hey, some sandboxes have been created and it's still unclear or dispute over whether everybody's using those sandboxes and using them correctly. And I would just point out that, you know, a lot of this comes with just the exploration and development of things that are new and different that aren't already established. And if our industry and our people are all pushing the boundaries of things we haven't done before, then it's always going to be a part of our culture to have these new things that we kind of, you know, argue back and forth a little bit about. And that's the process for establishing it. I mean, nobody's really debating the definition of HD at this point, right? Because that was the old sandbox. We've all agreed on it. And now we're moving on to the new edge. So I agree with you, Tim, that it is very helpful in conversations, as uh, Kevin also pointed out, to use the same vernacular all through the value chains of our industry, at the engineering level, down to the end user level. But the reality is everybody through those chains has you know, infinite things to focus on, and they have to narrow that down to the few that they realistically can do. And sometimes this cutting-edge language isn't one of those things, and it's okay enough because it doesn't directly impact their role until it does, in which case hopefully they learn the lesson and use the right term. You know, Tim, kind of closing out on this in the in a perspective of supporting your argument, it's kind of what happened back in 2012 with HDMI. Um, back in 2012, HDMI put in the adopter agreement it's something called no use of the versions, right? So back in January 1st, 2012, they put a stop to putting the version numbers on your products, whether it's website information or anything. So everyone who signed an adopter's agreement is actually technically in violation. If you put on your product, you're violating that license agreement by putting, let's say, HDMI 2.0 on your yeah. product. Uh, and they did that for a reason. And, and Jim Chase, who's now, he was the, at the time when I talked to him, he was the, uh, the VP of uh, he, I'm sorry, he was the CTO of HDMI licensing, and it was, a, it was a brilliant conversation. It's like it's not for us as the technicians or the technical people. It's for the consumer. Uh, when you look at what the capabilities of each version are, it's a feature set, and the feature set changes. So instead of putting a number on your product that would kind of give you the – all-inclusive uh, compliance to the version, you're supposed to say, these are the features I support. For example, I can do audio return channel, or it's I support Ethernet, or I can do 4K. Or, that's what you're supposed to do, uh, which I think in, in terms of this discussion, HDMI started a brilliant path of being exactly that. Be clear about what your what your capabilities are, as opposed to putting a little sticker that says UHD, right? Because now it's open for interpretation. Yeah. Is. Which I think brings it back to one of Haley's points, you know, which at, at the at the end user street level, it's about delivering the value that any particular individual or uh, client or business needs accomplished. Who cares what the label is? And I mean, I know for a lot of our client set, we try and steer them away from labels because they don't understand the ones we're using and maybe we don't even understand them correctly. We need to understand the outcome because that's what's going to drive value to their business, which is going to drive value to our transaction, which is going to drive value to Crestron when we buy from them and on up into the industry chain. Oh, you just became Kevin's favorite person on this panel, just so you know. All right. <laughs> Last story here. But you're close second. I appreciate that. I doubt that because Haley's on this panel and, and she's nicer than I am. Um, so uh, we're all, you know, Midwest yahoos and, and this and the other. We're all nice people. Um, 
Haley, I'm going to start with you on this, and and I'm going to take two different points of this, and and the story is, if you're watching the video, is is up there, but if you're not, uh, it's from our friends over at AB Network. FSR has sponsored the second female candidate in the ninth annual Cabling Skills Challenge uh, down at Bixie. I've been at Bixie's 2016 Winter Conference in Orlando, Florida. And um, Ms. Harris is a, a lead technician at, uh, at Chapel Romanoff uh, Technologies in, in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, FSR sponsored uh, her entry into it. Uh, it's, it's a cabling challenge at, at Bixie uh, at, the, at this event. Two things, Haley. And, uh, you know, I, I may very well get emails on this, but then I don't really care at this point. It's in AV Network. It was a great... Um, PR release uh, that we, we, we got from, from FSR. I think it was a great thing that Jan and the folks at FSR did. Um, when will this stop being news? <laughs> <laughs> what a great question. I think, how do I say this? Um, there's such a trend going on right now between women in AV, um, I shouldn't even put a label on it. I don't mean Women in Navy, the organization, or anything yeah. to that effect. But just bringing women into the um, into the industry, bringing young people into into the industry, they're such great things. Such great things. Don't get me wrong. Um, but exactly, when does it become normal? Um, there are so many capable women in here in our industry, and I don't think they necessarily should be called out because hey, I can I can crimp a cable and I can I can make this happen. Um, these women are great and are talented and we're bringing in more and more and that's so wonderful. Um, but exactly when does it stop becoming news? I mean, I don't know. I trying to say it all very nicely. I am such a big supporter of it. I'm honored to be in it. I'm honored to be a Warner Navy. I want to bring as many people in as I can, but these women are very capable. Stop making them be like, oh, what an accomplishment. You crimped a cable? Good for you. Well, like, yeah, and, and, and I don't think that's what FSR was getting. I mean, I, yeah, one of the things that, that's really cool is, is FSR, the company, is is one of the owners is, is Jan Sandry, great woman in AV. And mm-hmm. she's done a lot for the women in AV uh, organization. She's done a lot for women in Infocom and, and just being a female in this industry for, for, the, for you know, almost the entirety of, of her career. But I, I guess, you know, the, the bigger question is, is how do we make this commonplace, right? How do we make this normal? Um, you know, you have women like Jan Sandry, you have women like Corey Shaver, um, who, uh, Joanne Belanger, who is, is a past president of, of Infocom, uh, the Infocom board. Um, really talented folks that are at, at really high up. You have folks like you and Kelly Perkins, who's, uh, you know, um, at, at AVI Systems and Don Mead and, and uh, you know, um, Hope Roth, who's a talented programmer. You've got all these folks that that we know because they're in, in in our social sphere. But there are so many women that we don't know that are also doing really great things. I guess the the question is, how do we make this commonplace? Well, I mean, you make it commonplace by continuing to bring attention to it, right? Just like okay. the technical labels, right? The more we hear about it, the more we talk about it, the more we discuss, the more established of a sandbox this item becomes. And I mean, I, I took actually took away something different than the, the women portion. I took away the fact that, hey, we've got competitions out there that allow our skill sets of all types to be tested and compared. I mean, look, in technology, we're competitive people, right? 
this is great because part of the grading was not just, hey, can you twist a wire together, but about the professionalism involved and about the attitude and the promptness. And these are all things that in any service industry are going to be persistent challenges for organizations to make sure that they accomplish. And I think for our industry to be having these types of competitions is great and I wish we could uh, find some ways to make sure that they're happening more frequently more economically at like a regional level so more people can participate and network and find a competitive friendship and uh, um, relationships in the industry as opposed to being in these silos where well they're no good or you know they're no good at this other thing and we're best at this well really let's have a competition let's mm -hmm. connect find out where people let's find out that our industry has various skill sets that we can work together to produce great outcomes for the world and i think that the fact that women are specific piece of this is just it's inspiration it's cool i mean i don't have any women installers in our organization but I certainly have never been opposed to it, and I think it's great that one of them is getting recognized for an achievement of professionalism. Absolutely, and one thing I, I be, take on what you said there, Matt. I would love to see—I I don't know what it's called—but like a design install programming challenge at Infocom, yeah. right? Where you get a team of people, and you get a stack of gear, and you get a scope of work, and you have let's say six hours to get it done. And whosoever is, is, you know, the, the rack is prettiest and, and the, the programming is done and it works, you know, and, and the, the room is functional, you know, gets the, the, I don't know. And, and, and I'd like trophy. to add one parameter added there, which is gets a, a business outcome related to the needs of the scenario. Oh, now you're just being silly. Thought of. And, you know, it's just like the custom car reality shows. Every time I watch one of those things, I think AV is so primed for that because we've got a bunch of psyched up people with all this nerdy tech stuff. Throw them in a room, see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much. Uh, Mr. Slack, uh, how do people uh, find you? Matt.slack at avsolutions.com. You can hit me direct. We're also at avsolutions.com. All right. Very good. Mr. I. Sully, thank you, sir. My pleasure, as always. <laughs> Deadpan. Uh, how do or people... I should say your pleasure, as always. My pleasure, as always. How do people find you and or Crestron? Uh, of course, the the website for Crestron, Crestron.com, and then me directly is K. I. Sully at Crestron.com. All right. And Kevin will be uh, hitting the road uh, here soon with a with another uh, training challenge for folks. So look for him. Oh, in a... it will be a challenge. Huh? It will be a challenge. It will be a challenge. I've, I've seen some of the slides. Uh, and last but not least, Haley Klein from PSNI. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. And how do people find you or PSNI? Uh, PSNI.org. H. Klein at PSNI.org or PSNI underscore Haley on Twitter. All right. Very good. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. Uh, don't follow me, but go by the website if you would, please. avnation.tv. avnation.tv. You will find this program and a host of others. Have a new um, AV social that came out, um, a new ed tech that came out. We have a new state of control coming down the pipeline. Uh, and our new uh, residential show, if you're into that, um, happens every Monday uh, at uh, this very time at 2 o'clock Eastern. So check that out if you would, please. Avionation.tv. Avionation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. This has been AV Week. Thank you.